0: Good morning everyone. Good morning. In my first work at Port Charlotte, we were having some remodeling done at the building and the men hired a contractor to do the work. And as he was doing the work, I was there during the day and you know, we engaged in conversation and things like that and and it so happened that during that process of that work that he was doing, uh, his wife had a baby. And so the, the job probably took two or three months. And over the time we were talking, of course, asking how the baby was doing and things like that. And he made a statement that, that stuck with me, and I remember it even till today. He said, you know when those things come out, they don't come out with an owner's manual. And, and his point was, like, it was just sort of all new to him. He didn't know what to do, you know. Either uh, He didn't have family that lived close by, and so he was just at a loss. What to do with this little thing that cried and ate and did other things, and that's about it. And so it was overwhelming to him, and... You know, there's so many firsts with child-rearing. You know, the first step, the first word, uh, the first diaper, the first bath, all those things. And those firsts can never be repeated. In addition to those first things that are etched in our memories, the first smile, the first giggle, the first laugh, the first step. There's also some firsts that cause us heartache. First time he or she breaks up and their heart is broken. The first time they rebel against the things that as parents that we've tried to instill in them. And those first hurt our hearts. They hurt our hearts terribly. And so child rearing is an awesome responsibility. And thankfully you and I as New Testament Christians have an owner's manual. We have the Bible. And God gives us principles within the pages of that Bible how to rear our children in a way that is the way that God wants them reared and obviously God's a little smarter than you and I and he has an infinite wisdom and if God says this is the best way these are the best principles to use then we as New Testament Christians should probably trust in God's wisdom but this morning we're going to consider some essentials that I think come into play and I think there's biblical background for them in child-rearing. The first essential is that we have to be a good example. We have to portray to our children the kind of person that we want them to be. You know, our kids are going to follow our example. I can remember one time as a young person, and I don't know, I don't think mom said this to me. She might have been talking to a friend of hers or something. But I remember her saying, he walks just like his father. And if you have to know, had to know, if you, my father grew up on a farm. So he grew up, if you needed to get someplace, I mean, you got there. He didn't mess around when it came to walking. I mean, he was about getting to what needed to be done. And, and just, I followed his example. Even in Ghana, the Ghanaians, back when I was younger, not so much now, could say, you know, Brother Bob, you know how to walk. And I imitated my father in that. And so there's many good things. I imitated his, his hard work ethic and his honesty and those things. And so there's, our children imitate us. And even God recognizes that. When Solomon came to the throne of Judah, of Israel, And God says to him, follow in the steps of your father, David, you know, follow his example. And of course, he wasn't referring to the sins that David committed while he was there living. But the good things, the things that were good that David did, you know, and it must have been something because God said that David was a man after his own heart. And so God says, and now if you walk before me as your father David walked in integrity of heart and in uprightness to do according to all that I've commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David, your father saying, you shall not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. And that's in first Kings chapter nine, verse four and five. And Solomon for a large part of his life imitated and followed in the steps of his father. But we read in his latter years, his pagan wives led him away from God. But God understood that our parents, that parents have an influence upon their children. And so we want to be, we want to set the proper example. I think of Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1 or chapter 2 and verse 5, where, where Paul's talking about Timothy's um, mother and grandmother, that his faith developed from their faith. There was an example set there. But also in the Bible, there's some not so good examples. Do you remember King Ahab and Queen Jezebel? They had a daughter, Athaliah. And the text says in Second Chronicles chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 that Jehoram, when he was 32 years old, uh, he became king. He reigned eight years in Jerusalem and he married the, had the daughter of Ahab as a wife and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And then in 2 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 2 and 3, Ahaziah was 42 years old when he became king. He reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athaliah, the daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, the granddaughter of Omri. And it says here that she, let me get that back here. He walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother advised him to do wickedly. So here's Athaliah. She sees the actions of her father Ahab and her mother Jezebel, and that's the behavior that she imitates. Christina Bakish, in her article, Does Addiction Run in Families?, what Statistics Reveal writes, Children of addicts are eight times more likely to develop an addiction. A 1985 study suggests a strong genetic component, particularly for the onset of alcoholism in males. Sons of alcoholic fathers are four times more likely to become alcoholics. The use of substances by parents and their adolescent children is strongly correlated. Generally, if parents use drugs, sooner or later, their children will use them as well. Children who use drugs are more likely to have one or more parents who also use drugs. You know what that study tells us? We set an example for our children. My children see me drinking beer or drinking alcohol. Dad did it. It's okay. My children see me smoking dope or using illicit drugs. If dad did it, it must be okay. Children see me smoking cigarettes or smoking a pipe or smoking cigars. If dad did it, it must be okay. Children follow the example of their parents. Of course, we all say, don't do as I do. You know the rest, don't you? Do as I say. And that may work when that child's two and three and four and five and six, maybe up to about 11. But about from 13 on, children start getting a mind of their own. Well, how can Dad tell me it's wrong if he does it? How can mom say that this is wrong if she does it? So one of the things that essential is essential to be the kind of parent that God wants us to be is to be a good example. What is the example that you set in your home for your children or even your grandchildren? What do they see in your house when the doors are shut and it's just you and them? And no brothers or sisters, no one else, what do they see? What kind of an example are you setting? Second thing that's essential is that parents have the responsibility to teach their children. Now, we understand that when it comes to the things of the world. I mean, my dad spent a lot of time making me help him work on cars and making me help him work around the house. And I hated it. I hated to work on cars. I still hate to work on cars. I'll pay someone to work on my car. But what I learned from him as far as working with wood and remodeling a house, that's been a great benefit to me in my adult life. I haven't had to pay someone to come in and put a floor in. I haven't had to pay someone to put in cabinets or to build a deck or those type of things. I was able to do those from what I had learned from my son or my dad. He had taken me and shown me how to, is that right? And had shown, had shown me how to do that. And so I had, even though I didn't like it at the time, and I'd much rather been reading or playing sports or something, it gave me a base to work from. And it's the same thing for moms. You know, it's easier when you're a mom to just do everything in the house. You get it done, you've got your schedule. I want to get this done, I want to get it over with because I want to do something else. I don't want to spend all day washing dishes. I don't want to spend all afternoon preparing a meal. I don't want to spend all day changing the sheets on the bed or or running the vacuum cleaner if you don't have one of those little Rosie the robots. Whatever it is, you don't want to spend that all day. So it's easier to do it yourself than to teach your children. But if you don't take the time, your child's not going to know how to cook. Your child's not going to know how to wash clothes. Your child's not going to know how to iron shirts. Your child's not going to know how to clean house. And that goes for the boys, the young men, as well as the girls and young ladies. You've heard me say before, I've said it a 100 times, In our family, there were no girls. I learned real quick how to clean a toilet and how to wash baseboards and how to wash clothes and how to iron clothes. And I am so thankful for that. I didn't like it at the time, and your children won't like it at the time. But I am so thankful for that because now when Shirley's having her health problems, our house can move on and we can, I can maintain not as good as she can, but I can help her to take some of the burden off of her. And what is my role as a husband other than to make life as easy as I can for my wife? And if that's one way that I can do it, I thank God. I thank God for my mom and dad who taught me and forced me to do those things in spite of my kicking and screaming because I needed to learn them. And your children need to learn them too. They need how to function, to learn how to function in society, what it means to get up and go to work. You have heard me tell the story about waking up my girls. I'll save it for another time. You can ask Sabrina. That's her favorite story. It involves ice water, that's all I'm going to (laughs) say. But it's essential that parents teach their children, and we understand that. We don't have to to tell parents, you know, you need to teach your children how how to do these things that go with life. We do those, or at least I hope we do. But there's also a responsibility as parents that we have to teach our children about God. The church has a responsibility to teach. Preachers have a responsibility to teach. Elders have a responsibility to teach. But ultimately, parents, the responsibility to teach your children sits on your doorstep. Step. That's it. We can help, we can assist. We can encourage, we can do whatever we think, whatever we can to facilitate and to help you in doing that. But God's going to say to you, How come you didn't teach your children? How come you didn't take time for spiritual matters within your home setting? In Genesis chapter 18, there's an interesting interchange between God and Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. In Genesis chapter 18, Abraham has these three visitors. And from the context, we understand that one of them is the Lord. And and in in chapter 19, we see where where two angels, they move to Sodom. They're going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But in in chapter 18, uh, this one that that most likely is a manifestation of God to, uh, uh, to Abraham... it's like he's struggling in his mind, his thoughts, and he says this. He says, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. And that's from Genesis 18 verses 17 through 19. And the thought seems to be there that God's saying, you know, I need to tell Abraham about this. I need to tell Abraham what I'm about to do with Sodom and Gomorrah because I know he's going to share that with his children and grandchildren and his ancestors and he needs to do that so that they might understand obedience to God is a serious thing. It's not something to be taken lightly. In other words, he understands this responsibility of parents In Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn there. And and the whole book of Proverbs is written from a a parental aspect, largely, to that of a child, a son, or a a, a son or a daughter, (laughs) a child, not not a little child, but anyway. Uh, Proverbs 1, 1 through 7, the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple and to the young man knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase learning. And a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. To understand a proverb and an enigma. The words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of the knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and and instruction. If you're familiar with Proverbs. The first I believe about eight chapters. Deal with this idea of the wisdom of God. That it centers around this wisdom of God. But from then on. There's these various wise statements about life. If you train up a child in the way he shall go, most likely when he is older, he will not depart from him. They're not hard, fast rules, but they are generalities, they are wisdom that if you do this, most likely this will be the result. If you don't become a cosigner for someone, you're probably not going to uh, sever that relationship or cause that relationship to some way end. And so you have all these wise sayings that deal with life. Just life. And so... As a parent, we're obligated to teach our children those things. We're obligated to teach them about God. And We saw in verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 4 of Ephesians, that we are to train our children and a nurture and admonition, or the discipline and the training, instruction of the Lord. God expects parents to do that. And many commentators where it says fathers will take the position that refers to parents, that when fathers are used plural, that many times it refers to parents in general. Maybe, maybe not the case, but obviously there is a responsibility there. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 7, God tells Jewish parents that they were to train their children, they were to tell them these laws. And it's clear that Lois and Eunice, or Eunike, however you want to pronounce that, that they taught Timothy. So parents, if you don't teach your children, if you don't teach them about life, and if you don't teach them about God and a godly life, do you know who's going to teach them? The world is going to teach them. That's who's going to teach them. Sometimes as parents, and, 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 and I know this is a delicate subject, sometimes as parents, they don't want to talk about the physical aspect of a, a relationship between man and women. They're all embarrassed about talking about that, especially the older generation. But if you don't teach your child, you know who's going to teach them? People like Hugh Hefner. People like these Jerry Springer. People, these nuts out there that are twisting this beautiful thing that God has made. That's who's going to teach them. And so parents, it's essential that we teach our children. We teach them about life and we teach them about God. Another thing that is essential, it's essential that parents correct their children. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that you go out and buy a baseball bat to beat your child. In Hebrews chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, if you'll turn there. In Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. Turned that page six times. I'm still on the wrong page. Uh, Hebrews chapter uh, 12, verse 5. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Do not be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we much more be readily subject and be in red, readily in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened as seemed best to them, but he for our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What's the Hebrew writer saying? He said, God's going to chasten us. He's going to correct us. Sometimes that correction's very painful. Sometimes that correction comes down where our brethren say to us, you're walking a path, I can't walk with you. And I'm no longer in fellowship with you. That's painful. That would be so painful to me as a Christian because Christians are my friends. I have hardly any friends outside the body of Christ. And to not be in fellowship and not have that friendship would be something that would be very hard for my heart to take let alone to be out of fellowship with God. So God will correct us. And if God's going to correct me, and God is going to correct you, it seems to behoove us that we should correct our children to make sure that they stay on the path that God would have them to be. Proverbs 19, verse 18, Chasing your son while there is hope. I can't tell you how many times in the years that I've been here in Auburndale, get this knock or the buzzer will ring, and there will be a grandmother or mother. And, and typically, this is the conversation. I have a 15-year-old son or a 15-year-old daughter. Usually, it's that, that age range. And essentially, she said, they've just gone crazy. They're, they're You know, I can't control them anymore. I want to to bring them to church. You know what she's saying? She's going to bring them to church, and we're going to straighten out in, in six weeks what she's allowed to happen over 15 years. I'd like to say I could. I'd like to say we could. But it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Chasten your child while there is hope. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of correction will drive it far from them. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 15 had a conversation where a a person said, You got to beat your children with a rod or with a stick. Well, sometimes you have to paddle your children, but some children you don't have to paddle. There was, you know, sometimes all it took for our girls was just to look. And they got the message. I didn't have to spank them. There was times that I did have to spank them. But you shouldn't have to spank a 12-year-old, a 13-year-old, or a 14-year-old, or a 15-year-old. But if that child is rebellious and that's the only thing that they understand, God says do it. Now, he's not talking about it beating your child so mercilessly that they end up in the hospital or they end up with a broken bone or bloody legs. But what God is saying there, that you have to get your child's attention. They have to understand that there's something that needs corrected and it's serious enough that mom or dad has to paddle you to make you understand how serious this is. Anybody have, ever have their child start to run out in the street? If you're, a, just put your hand up. You know you all have. Here's what you said. Oh, Sabrina, please come back from the street. Please don't run out there. Is that what you said? Didn't sound like that at all, did it? It got real serious there for a moment. You may have even grabbed your child by the hand and yanked them back. And afterwards, you think, "Is their shoulder still in socket?" Sometimes it's like that with a child. God talks about some that you snatch from the fire. You grab them. You have to get their attention. And God expects us to do that with our children. Proverbs 23, verse 13 and 14. Do not withhold discipline from a child. Even if you strike him with a rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, you will deliver him from death. How many here like being spanked when they were a child? Yeah, I ain't putting my hand up on that one either. It hurt. It hurt. It hurt my pride. It hurt my south end. It hurt. I didn't like it, you know, and, you know, believe it or not, I might have been a little bullheaded when I was young. And sometimes it took two or three times for the message to get through. But once it got through, I wanted to stay away from that. Well, a child has to understand there are some things that are non-negotiable. That it's either this way or there's discipline, there's correction involved. Now, not every child is the same. Some children, like I said, you can just give them the look or have a talk with them. Other children, a little more stubborn, a little more hard-headed, we have to deal with differently. A parent who truly loves their child, listen to this, a parent who truly loves their child will correct that child. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor detest his correction For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as the Father and the Son whom he delights. Over the years, I've seen parents, not necessarily within the congregation, but I've seen parents that it was obvious that they did not discipline their child. Just let that child do whatever they wanted. You know what my first thought was? They really don't love that child. They don't know how to love that child. They've bought into the world mindset that if I'm a friend with my child, I let my child do whatever they want, and I become a buddy for them, and I provide everything that they want, then they're going to grow up to be this wonderful person that I'm going to really be happy that I raised, When they become an adult, God says, if I love my child, I'm going to correct them when they do something wrong. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Proverbs 13, verse 24. An essential element in rearing children is to discipline your child. And being aware, I might add to that, being aware and knowing your child well enough to use the kind of discipline that's effective. And each child may be different. Another essential element in parents is to teach and give their children responsibility. In Proverbs chapter 24, verse 30 through 34, I passed by the field of a sluggard. If you don't know what a sluggard did, that's a lazy person. I passed by the field of a sluggard, by the vineyard of one who lacks wisdom. I saw that thorns had grown up over all over it. The ground was covered with weeds, and its stone wall was broken down. When I saw this, I gave careful consideration to it. I received instruction from what I saw. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to relax. And your poverty will come like a bandit and your need like an armed robber. What was the wise man saying? Your child's going to be living with you when they're 40. That's what he's saying. If you don't teach your child responsibility, if you don't teach them how to live life and specifically how to live it in a godly way, you're going to be that statistic that we're reading about all the time where children are living with their parents into their 30s and the 40s and 50s and pretty soon they're going to be retiring in your house. If we don't, Teach our children responsibilities. Where did Samuel find David when he went to anoint him as king? You know that story. Samuel goes to Jesse and God tells him a son of Jesse is going to be the king to replace Saul, the king of Israel. And Samuel goes to there and Jesse brings out his boys. Man, can't you just see him? It's one of those stair step kind of things. He brings them out. No, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one, not this one. Oldest down to almost the youngest. Where was David? He was the youngest. We don't know exactly how old, but he was probably in his teens or so, maybe late teens, early 20s. Where was he? He was out in the field, what? Taking care of the sheep. That was an easy job. You just sort of lay back and you play with your game boy, right? Play with your game boy while the sheep are running around. I seem to remember something about a bear and a lion. Isn't there something in David's life he talks about that? Didn't he say to Saul, you know, Saul says, what are you going to do to Goliath? He said, man, I killed a bear. I killed a lion. You just give me a rock and I'll take care of Goliath. That's a paraphrase. But Jesse taught David responsibility. And do you think that responsibility had any effect on David's life? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Do you think that had any relation to what David did when he was a young guy? Of course it did. Children need to have responsibility. When Elijah called Elisha, what was Elisha doing? He wasn't on his Game Boy. He wasn't playing his, is it PS2? No. Whatever that thing. Nintendo, if you're old school. He was out plowing, plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. Children need to have responsibility. Jeremiah said in Jer- Lamentations chapter 3, verse 27, it is good for a man to bear the yoke in, er- in his youth. In other words, give your children some responsibility. We talked a little bit about that. Give them a job. When they're two, they can do something. If it's just merely picking up their clothes or their toys. Give them a responsibility because if you don't give them responsibility I'm not a prophet or the son of a prophet but when you get to heaven you can tell me, Bob you were right, my child lived with me till they were 40 children need to have responsibility and then lastly and we understand this. It's essential that children or parents love their children. And I'm going to put this caveat on it because I think it's vital. Is It's not the love that the world says that we should have for our children. The world says if we love our child, We'll take them all these places. We'll give them all these opportunities to play sports, to take piano, to, to do all these extracurricular activities. If we love our child, we'll buy him the latest games or whatever, you know, the nicest clothes, the name brand clothes. That's what the world says. And I'm not saying that anyone here does that. But let me tell you what God says about love love is patient and kind. Now, God doesn't say that love is patient and kind only when you feel good. Love is patient and kind even when you come home from work and you've had a rough day at work and your child says something or does something that aggravates aggravates you. So immediately you take all your frustration of work out on your child. God said love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. You've heard me say many times, we will talk to our loved ones and say things to our loved ones that we would not say to a stranger. One day, Sabrina was with the kids, and and I made a statement that from when I grew up, sticks and stones will break your bones, but words will never harm you. And Sabrina corrected me, and she was right to do so. Words hurt. Words hurt deeply. You tell your child they're dumb, or they're stupid, or they can't do anything right. And that sinks in. That's something that lives with a child a long, long time. If my mom says that I can't do anything right, she knows me better than anyone else. Or if my dad says that I'm stupid, he's my dad. He knows me better than anybody else. I must be stupid. Love is never rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of wrong being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. When I say it's essential to love your children, I'm talking about that love we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. That's the kind of love that parents must have for their children. Parenting is difficult. As my lovely daughter says, I only got one chance at this, and I don't want to mess it up. And if you have youngsters at home, I'm sure you feel the way that way. I've only got one chance of this. There's no do-overs. There's no instant replays. This is my chance to prepare this young person who's in my house for life and for God that he might be an example of Christ to all that he or she comes in contact it's essential that each parent sets the example that God would have them to set that each parent prepares their child for life both the physical and spiritual life it's essential that each parent corrects their child it's essential that each parent instills in their child a sense of responsibility and it is essential that each parent loves their child as God would have them to love there's no guarantees if you do all those things that your child will turn out to be a faithful child of God, a, a, a um, productive member of society. There's no guarantee, but I can guarantee you this. If you don't, if you don't do those things we've talked about, I can guarantee you that they will not be a productive member of society nor will they be a faithful child of God. Maybe you're here this morning and your relationship with Christ isn't what you believe, you wish it would be. Maybe you're a New Testament Christian and maybe some of the things we've talked about this morning have have touched your heart. Maybe you're a parent. And you're struggling with your children, and and how to help them to become what God would have them to be. Help the, how to help them to become a productive member of society. Maybe you realize you've fallen short of what God would have you to be. We urge you to acknowledge that to God. Repent of it. Seek His guidance guide, guidance, and His forgiveness. And, John tells us that God is, is faithful and righteous to forgive us of all unrighteousness. He will forgive if we seek his forgiveness. Maybe you're not a New Testament Christian. We'd like to help you with that this morning if you're interested. If you truly believe that Jesus is the Son of God, James says, faith without deeds is dead." In other words, faith must be uh, man, um, manifested, demonstrated To be true faith. It's not just merely I believe in Jesus. If I truly believe in Jesus, I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn from sin, turn to serving God. And if I truly believe that Jesus is my Lord, my King, all that the Bible says that He should be to me, then I'm going to be willing to confess that belief before men. But what about my past sins? I've started on this new path, but what about my past sins? God says when we are immersed in water, we are buried with Christ and we arise to walk in newness of life. That's the point that God says we become a new creation. That we are baptized into one body through the Spirit. That's the point that God says you're saved, your past sins are forgiven, you're a child of God. Welcome into the kingdom of his son of his love. Welcome into the church. Welcome into his body. You are now My child would like to help you to do that this morning. If you need to respond, won't you come as we sing this song of encouragement?